Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. And welcome to another edition of Homeschooling Helps with Andrea Schwartz. I'm Andrea Schwartz, and on my side here is my sidekick co-host, Nancy Wilk. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Andrea. It's always good to see you. Yep. So we're going to tackle a subject today that will probably upset some folks because it might, in actuality, Uh, rock their boat in terms of what they've assumed to be true. And so the question is, does God's word require us to love our children unconditionally? So Nancy, why don't you sort of summarize the current think in terms of unconditional love? Well, I think that most people would immediately say, yes, of course we're supposed to love our children unconditionally. They're my children. If I don't love them unconditionally, nobody else will. And of course, God loves us all unconditionally. I think that's the, that's the general thing. So, you know, if, if we're gonna say contrary, Andrea, you're gonna have to really, you know, give it to us really, really well laid out because the group think is, of course, we love our children unconditionally. Talk to me about it. Okay, so what's a condition? A condition is a term. Uh, When we get new software, when we sign a contract to purchase a house or a car or something big, there are conditions. And the truth of the matter is very few people read the small print because they're thinking, "I I can't understand this anyway. Well, the sad part about the whole idea of unconditional love, very few Christians have read the regular print in scripture to see if it's even a biblical concept. So before we can talk about whether or not we should love our children or our spouse unconditionally, we have to delve into whether or not God loves us unconditionally. Is that a proper understanding of scripture? Is that a proper theological position? Or is it one of those myths that's been perpetrated that basically makes for an anemic or impotent Christianity? Well, it does It does come to, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is we use that word so easily. You know, I can say that I love my dog. I love chocolate. I love my husband. I love my house. I love you know, lavender, whatever it is, I can love a whole, whole, whole lot of things. And there's also this idea that if we hate somebody or something that that's, that's bad, you know, you don't want to hate on anybody. God forbid we hate on anybody. So, you know, we need to, we need to understand love and realize how we're using it as opposed to the biblical love. Too, because we know, but we know God is love. God says He loves. So right. there's lots of things to really consider. And we have <clears throat> we have love on our postage stamps. 
we have all you need is love. The Beatles told us that. But of right. course, if love is this abstraction and it can mean whatever you want it to mean, then I guess we're all doing it because I can change the definition whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So love is the fulfilling of the law. So first and foremost, we better know what the law of God says, and we need to know the conditions upon which someone is in covenant with God or out of covenant, because the Bible is clear over and over again. Faithfulness and obedience bring blessing, and unfaithfulness and disobedience brings curses. So right there, you have God's conditions. And we think that because it's been told to us that God loves us unconditionally, it's a very antinomian or anti-law view that says no matter what I do, God is bound to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that sets us off on the wrong track because we tend to think of love as a sentimental or emotional instead of biblical. Right. So when those say, no, God loves us unconditionally, isn't it wonderful that God <clears throat> loves us unconditionally? There was a condition and is a condition for God's love. And that condition is Calvary. Apart from Calvary, no one enters the family of God. Apart from Calvary and God's initiation toward us and bringing us into his family, then we're outside the covenant and all the conditions of disobedience ultimately resulting in permanent and eternal separation from God. That's all about conditions. So when we talk about the conditions of our relationship to God, that's what the law of God is all about. Those are the conditions upon which God will bless us. Okay. So with that theological underpinning, let's shift the discussion to normal relations. You and I are friends, but our friendship is based on conditions. Yes. I don't go into your house and decide I like your wardrobe and I'm going to take it because the condition of not stealing is part and parcel of our relationship. You and I are both married. We do not share our husbands with each other because God's law says marriage is an exclusive relationship between a man and a woman in covenant and until death parts them. So every relationship we have, have has conditions attached to it. And that is also true with regards to our children. Okay. Keep going. I'm with you so far. Okay. So we have a child. That child mm -hmm. is a tiny infant, usually under somewhere under nine pounds. And it's very hard not to love that child. Right. That child is right. totally dependent upon you. And so even if the child keeps you up at night, and even if the child has colic, and even if the child isn't 100% healthy, as a parent, you give all to that child. But the child doesn't stay an infant, and the child 
if you are raising the child according to the word of God, needs to be trained in how to adhere to God's standards. So to presume that we can love a child, and as that child grows, our grown children unconditionally is a fallacy, and it's not based on biblical truth. Still with me? Yeah. So is there a difference in loving that infant and loving a two-year-old or a 20-year-old? Like, let's... No, you you love them the same in as much as you follow God's law and you actually adhere to your responsibility. So let's, let's fast forward the clock and you have a son or daughter who disobeys your rules in terms of curfew or using the car or whatever it is. And you say, okay, as a result of this, there's going to be a penalty assigned. Mm -hmm. And the person says, you don't love me. If you loved me, you'd forgive me and you'd let me go on and do what I want. Well, would you be loving that person if you never had that person experience the consequences of disobedience? No, that would not be love. No. That would not be Right. Because if you're speeding and you're pulled over for speeding and you look at the, the the peace officer and you say, don't you love me? Can't you just let me get away with it now? Um, I doubt that you would, right? So mm-hmm. there are always going to be consequences and there's always going to be law. And if the law of God is in part of your home school, first of all, it should be part of your family, but especially part of your home school, that means that the laws of God must govern the interaction with your children and the conditions that God lays out are the conditions on which you relate to them. Mm-hmm. Jesus says in Matthew ten thirty seven that if you love your mother or father or son or daughter more than you love him, you're not worthy of him. So God wants to remain preeminent because he is preeminent. And if we do anything contrary to that, we're putting another God before God. So our love for somebody is not an emotional concept. It is in the context of doing the right thing more than it is how we feel about them. Right. Feelings change. Yeah. Uh, You have three. I have three. You have grandchildren. I have grandchildren. Sometimes you like one more than you like the other because one of them is being a real pain. One of them is just asserting contrariness. And you're thinking, this isn't a lot of fun to be with. Now, the tendency is when you have a disruptive one is to bend the rules just to have peace. But there is no peace if God's law isn't prevailing. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't some children who are more difficult than others. There are. But the consistency of applying God's law appropriately in each situation is what will be the tutor that helps that child eventually come to an understanding of his duty before God. So my um, recognition of God's law and a and applying that appropriately demonstrates love, whether that kid is in compliance with God's law or not, I'm still demonstrating love by requiring it as opposed to saying, 
oh, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, you can do whatever you want to do, whether it's right or wrong. And to so so is the kid that is um, being defiant. I don't hate that kid. I love that kid enough to correct them. Exactly. And okay. because parenting is not easy, because you're dealing as an not fully sanctified sinner, you're dealing with unsanctified people as well. That's why a lot of people decide they can't homeschool. By the time that child gets to preschool or kindergarten age, I'm going to give them to someone else. I've actually heard a woman say most recently, because school is starting again, she said, I'm so glad school is starting. I don't have to deal with my son. He's really tough. Now somebody else has to deal with them. And so I made the sarcastic remark and I said, oh, so yeah, putting him in with a bunch of other seven-year-olds is going to be really good for him and you. And she says, yeah, that's where he's going to learn how to live and relate to other people. Well, of course, what standard is he going to be taught? Well, if he's in the class with 30 other people, he's going to have the standard applied, which makes it so that the teacher has some degree of sanity by the end of the day. It won't necessarily, and in a public school, it certainly won't be based on God's commandments, the overall commandment to love God completely and treat your neighbor as you'd want to be treated and then the Ten Commandments and all the case laws that follow. So when all is said and done, a message is being transmitted. We don't want to be guilty of transmitting a mythological or a false uh, definition and perspective on love, that all love is conditional love. All love is conditional love. You know, it might take a little while to wrap our head around that idea. It, just because it's been so, so long and ingrained that God's love is unconditional. And it, he says that it is conditional. That We just have to go back to that. If we love him, that's that says it's conditional. If we love him, it's demonstrated by obeying his commandments. And it is not an emotional... It's not doesn't have to feel good. It has to be in terms of God's commands and action in terms of God's right. commands. Now, this does not mean that God isn't merciful. He is. That doesn't mean that God leaves us in our sins. He does not. For when we were still sinners, when we were enemies against him, he died for us. So I'm not negating that. It's just that when we are brought into the family of God, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit now lives within us and the Holy Spirit testifies to us. And so if there's any message to communicate to parents who, of course, want their children to walk in faith, remember that faith is a gift of God. We don't manufacture it. We don't go through steps one through 20. And now we have faith. No, the Bible says the just, those who are redeemed in Christ, live by faith. And that's what we have to communicate to our children. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. And oh, by the way, these are his commandments. And these commandments apply to every area of life and thought. And so now, if we've done our job, we've at least told them 
there's no place they can go where God's law won't be operative. And unfortunately, there are too many churches, and I will call them dead churches, because they're not operating on the idea that the just live by faith. They just want to be concerned with, well, we're saved. Saved from what? If you don't even know what you're saved from, then, oh, I'm saved. Oh, that's good. I've done what I needed to do. I think those people might well hear the scariest words that I think are in scripture when Jesus says, I never knew you. Mm. That, that, those are the words you don't want to hear. We don't. We don't. So we usually think of love or hate. What are, talk to me, if, if, if I'm not getting off topic, talk to me about the things that God hates as opposed to the things God's lo God loves. Okay, which brings us to another myth. How many times have you heard, we hate the sin, but we don't hate the sinner? Well, I got news for you. God hates the sinner. Because okay. nobody has ever encountered sin apart from someone committing that sin. So you can't go to your window and say, hey, look, I just saw adultery going down the street. Look, there's theft. Oh my gosh, murder is here. These are abstractions. All these things are actions that are done by people. And so the person who murders, who takes a life, apart from God's conditions on when it's appropriate to take a life, right? They are sinners and God hates those who are in rebellion. Now, let's go back to what I said. He also pulls some out of that rebellion and restores us to fellowship with him. But it's an act of God's sovereign grace, not a, um, like I said, a mechanical thing where if we just go through a certain number of steps, we'll get to the end result. Right. Or saying a certain prayer or join in a certain church. None of those things. It really is a supernatural work of God. We don't decide to follow Jesus. God decides to rescue us. Right. I think it's Cornelius Van Til who said, if there was a button, there's just one button in the entire universe where if you press that button, God's law and authority wouldn't apply. Fallen man would never take his finger off that button. Mm. He'd make sure that that button was there because that's part of our rebellion. We want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Well, if you're going to faithfully discharge your duty as a parent, you better you better understand that God has requirements on you as a parent in terms of how you teach and raise your children. So none of us get a pass. Right, right, right. There's a scripture that comes to my mind about if we teach one of these little ones to sin, it's better for us to have a millstone tied around our neck and for us to be drowned yeah. than, than to teach the, the little ones to sin. So, you know, as a parent, we need to realize that if we're not teaching our children what God requires, if we don't know what God requires of us, and then if we're not teaching them, the children, what God requires, it's better for us to be dead. Oh, yeah. And that probably isn't a very um, exciting way to die because you're, you, in other words, there's no way if you have this weight that's pulling you down that it's easy to countermand it. 
I should also say, rather than limit it to, we should teach our children not to sin, really and truly homeschooling focuses on teaching them how and what to obey. It's not a bunch of don't do this, don't do that, and go around with a microscope or a magnifying glass and trying to figure out all the things they're doing wrong. Train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord at every stage, because obviously the things that a three-year-old can get into and the things that a 13-year-old can get into and then the things that the quote-unquote adult over 18 can get into that it appears at times that parents don't have a say, all these things need to be related to the fact that God's law doesn't change. You may change, but God's law is still operative. And that's the most important thing we can do because our job as parents is a stewardship job. It's a job that says, God gave you to me to, to train you up, to prepare you. But there comes a point in which that, that child is no longer little and stands before God and will be judged directly. Right, right, right. One of the things that we do need to teach our children is that they're in accordance with God's law, that the wages of sin is death. And so when we use, for example, a spanking spoon, you know, when our children are violating God's law, then we teach, then we're demonstrating that there is pain. There is pain at the end of this. We don't want to go that way. And so that's just a, there's some uh, perception that if we love our children, that we're going to let them just explore and do whatever they want to do. And sometimes that crosses the line from learning and proper exploration to um, actually being um, contrary to God. Right. And that's where you have the introduction of child psychology and how we're going to understand the mind of a child. Um, a child thinks, although less maturely, like an adult. Everybody comes out with original sin, determining for themselves right and wrong and wanting their own way. So one of the first things you have to teach a child is no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Correct. And if you don't teach no and you think, well, I don't want to stifle that child. Think of how the commandments are actually laid out. Most of them are stated in the negative. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Don't do this. So that's the tutor. That's the tutor that leads us to our inescapable uh, condition that says there is no hope apart from Christ. If we give our children the illusion that there is hope apart from Christ, we have done them the greatest disservice that we could possibly do because we haven't told them the truth. Right, right, right. And we let them continue in their, encourage them in their sin instead of raising that standard that requires, that, that requires they see their need for God. Right. And too many parents, especially of our generation, look back and say, oh, I was a mess. I was rebellious. I did wrong things. And think that says that they can't really comment on their children. No, it's not do as I do or do as I did. It's thus saith the Lord. What does God say? And I've talked to many a parent of grown children 
who admits that the children remember the standards that were put there. And if you don't follow those standards, they're actually upset with you. They're like, wait a minute, that, that, that's not how you raised me. How come you're doing this with my children or whatever it is? And, you know, we have to say, well, I wasn't following God's law appropriately when you were little, or I've learned more about it, that really and truly God's law doesn't change. So whether you're 70 or whether you're seven, God's law still applies. And that needs to be the perspective in our homeschool, because why educate to just produce a well-educated fool who says in his heart, hey, there is no God. I don't have to pay attention to this. Right. Yes, that is the um, that um, idea that we can decide for ourselves is sin. It is another God. It, it is the religion of humanism. We've talked about that a little bit. And we don't have to, um, if we don't teach our children the law of God, then what we are teaching them by default is that, that they're, two-year-old opinion is legit is as legitimate as the word of God. And we know that's not true. You know, right. We know that's not true. And I I've often made the um, tongue in cheek remark. One of the most dangerous things you can do if you're not intending to be, remain faithful yourself is teach your children the word of God, because sometimes you may be operating in such a way to give yourself an advantage over God's law and if you've taught your children the law, they might come back and say, but wait a minute, you're not being consistent either here. And so um, the more we can edify and exhort each other, not based on our own whims and our own preferences or our own convenience, um, the better off we'll all be. Truth of the matter is, especially if you're a homeschooling parent, and you can attest to this, I'm sure, in looking back, sometimes it's just easier to let it go. You know, but it's, it's not easy. right. It seems easy, but the scripture tells us that no discipline seems right, seems seems easy at the time. But we have to do it because discipline is about discipleship. And as Christians, we're supposed to be we are being discipled to Christ. So so let's do this. Let's say there's somebody that's watched this show and thought, oh, my word, I uh you know, I got to do different. So, so if they've been doing it differently and they're just getting a glimpse for the first time that God, God's um, love is conditional and they've been doing it wrong. How do we make that? Uh, how do we get going the right direction? Okay. Well, I'll answer by means of a story. When I first okay. came to faith and was introduced to these principles, I will call them the principles of theonomy, that God's law is applicable and that we need to reconstruct every area of our life in terms of God's word. Somebody gave me a book and at the end of this book, there was an appendix. At the time, I only had two children and you were supposed to go through the list of these particular things and answer yes or no. And they were things like your children talk back to you when you tell them to do something. Um, when you're out in public and you say, come here, your child runs the other way. Well, you were supposed to have more no's if you were doing a good job. 
every single one I had was a yes. And I remember telling my husband, we are so messed up here. <laughs> How will we ever get on the right track? And so we approached it a little bit at a time. And you should have seen the reaction of my children. They were like, what happened to mom and dad? You know, up until yeah, that point, for example, <laughs> up until that point, we had always met kids and said, hi, I would give my first name. But this book said, no, no, you should say, have them address you as Mr. or Mrs. And so I now said to my son and daughter, okay, you have to refer to somebody as Mr. and Mrs. And they were looking at me like, I know she'll get over it. I'm sure she'll get over it. This is just a phase. Mom must be going through a phase. But we we took it a step at a time. And as we corrected, and let's just say it again, there are lots of ways to correct. Corporal punishment is a way. And it should only be used if the communication of consequence is appropriate for whatever the offense. Dropping a glass and breaking it doesn't necessarily require a spanking unless, of course, the child looked at you and threw that glass down and it was outwardly defiant. You still may discipline and say, okay, you know, that was an accident, but it caused something and we need to talk about how to make restitution. So there are lots of different ways to bring about correction, but correction without explanation is really not helpful to anyone. So if you're going to spank a child for an offense, the child needs to be able to articulate what was the offense, why this is being done or was done. And then you talk about it so that the relationship can be restored. That's why I say if you're going to take on the task of homeschooling, you got to roll up your sleeves and realize that the education is one in which the primary goal is to teach our children how to love God and keep his commandments because that's their duty. I would think that the primary place for the education has to start with the mom and dad getting their own perspective right before it can be communicated to the children. And um, so, yeah. yeah, that's why I started off with saying, we better understand that God doesn't love us unconditionally so that when we recognize that we are forbidden to love our children unconditionally, we're standing on solid biblical foundation. And that's why parents need to be schooled in theology. It's not like we'd expect a surgeon to just one day and say he was a surgeon. And so now we're going to say, oh yeah, you can open me up. I don't need to know how, how well you've done, where you've been trained. Well, parents need to be trained as well. And the best training, of course, is the training that the Bible gives us. And if your children are trained from the time they're young, by the time they're um, in charge of their own families, they will have years of this foundation and things that stump other people won't stump them. Right, right, right. The scripture tells us that if we lack wisdom, we ask for it and he gives it to us. It also tells us, that if um, we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we recognize that we have sinned against God by not um, training our children um, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we can repent of that sin and he will meet us there. It isn't necessarily going to take a long, long time. You know, it just it, it's just a matter of that. Um, 
that direction of our heart and actions going in the right direction instead of continuing to go um, contrary to God's law. Exactly. That, that's a real, um, even that um, saying that we're Christians, but not recognizing God's standard is violating uh, the, the third commandment. We're taking his name in vain in that sense. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that we need to, to put in proper order so that we can teach it to our children. The Bible is a book of conditions mm -hmm. and we at our peril ignore them or decide they're not important to know. And this goes back to how people understand their Christianity, their being part of God's family. If they think I walked forward, I, I did what the, the person at the front said I should do. And now I'm a Christian, but I don't pay any attention to what are the rules and the terms of being a Christian. I mean, there's no other place in life. If you seek employment someplace, there are terms and conditions. If you, um, are engaged in joining a association or a club, their terms and conditions. Why we think there would be no terms and conditions in terms of our relationship to God just means that we've been so poorly taught and we need to get on a right footing. Wow, you've given a lot of folks a lot of things to think about. And I, I really appreciate it. I think that it's really, really important and it's what Christian it is it is biblical Christianity, you know. Yep. It's biblical Christianity, and you're right. We neglect it to our peril, and we misrepresent God, and we we um, we fail to build our house. The Scripture tells us that a wise woman builds her house, and the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. So, so we are wise women to look at God's word and and apply it in these very, very practical ways. And the upshot of it all is when you do, God blesses you for your faithfulness. So I think we would call it a win-win situation. Mm, it is. All right, friend. Well, we're getting past our time. Thank you for, uh, thank you for this very enlightening conversation. I'm sure that you've got a lot of people scratching their heads and going to the Lord to get uh, increasing clarity on these things. And as always, we're available. If somebody wants to put a comment or question underneath this video, um, we're pretty good at answering it. And uh, I, I think it's the, if this is the beginning of a conversation, I'm pleased that we've done a service for folks. Great. Thank you. Very okay. Much. See you next time. Next time. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.